Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with one of the most high-stakes presidential trips in recent memory. President Joe Biden is embarking on an emergency mission to Europe, meeting with NATO leaders in Brussels and then heading to Poland, a country on the front lines of the humanitarian and military crisis in Ukraine. The single most important thing that uh, we can do from the outset is keep the democracies united in our opposition and our effort to curtail the devastation that is occurring at the hands of a man who, I quite frankly, think is a war criminal. And, and I think it will meet the legal definition of that as well. It is perhaps the most important moment in Biden's presidency so far, a moment that will punctuate world history for decades to come. It's the engagement of an American president in the battle for democracy on the world stage, and not just any U.S. president. This is Joseph Robinette Biden, a man who came to the presidency with foreign policy chops and a family steeped in military service and loss. It's almost impossible to think about Joe Biden, the man, without thinking about his son, Bo, who died of brain cancer after serving in Iraq. Which is why you're going to see the usual photos that we see with presidents, lots of images of the commander in chief taking selfies with the troops. Plus lots of Joe Biden, Joe Bidening, eating jalapeno and pepperoni pizza with American troops stationed in Poland near the border with Ukraine and lots of conversations with service members about Bo. Foreign policy and empathy. It is this president's brand. And that very particular combination matters as we see the president assuming the leadership of a newly united West as millions of refugees flee from Putin's bombs. Ukraine's neighbor, Poland, has taken in 2.1 million refugees. That number is larger than the population of Poland's capital, Warsaw. Tomorrow, President Biden will meet with Ukrainians displaced by the conflict. And then, in Warsaw, he will deliver what could be the most important speech of his career. We have seen these moments before. President John F. Kennedy, Biden's presidential idol and the only other Catholic president in U.S. history, in his 1963 anti-communist speech in West Berlin, a focal point of Cold War rivalry, offering American solidarity to the citizens of West Germany versus the then USSR. Once again, America must unite with the West to stop a tyrannical assault on freedom as the bloodshed continues with missiles indiscriminately targeting Ukrainian civilians and supplies. Ukrainian forces continue to show resolve, keeping the Russians out of Kyiv, but the stakes couldn't be higher on this 30th day of fighting as fears grow that a desperate Putin could unleash chemical weapons on Ukrainian civilians. Joining me now is former CIA Director John Brennan, who is an MSNBC senior national security and intelligence analyst, and former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, author of Lessons from the Edge, a memoir. And I'm going to start with you, Ambassador Ivanovich. From your perspective, as somebody who was an ambassador to Ukraine and has lived the, the sort of high and the low ends um, of what has happened between the United States and Ukraine, 
What would you say is the significance of the speech that President Biden will give tomorrow? Well, I think it's hugely important for two different reasons. One is to focus on what is happening in Ukraine, uh, to call out Russian actions for what they are, war crimes, as we just heard the president uh, declare, uh, demand a ceasefire and um, warn Putin not to escalate. But I think on another level, and you touched on this in your introduction, it's also about explaining to the American people and the world that um, why Ukraine is important, that Ukraine is the canary in the coal mine in the fight of, uh, in the battle between tyranny and liberty. And if Putin isn't stopped in Ukraine, he's going to keep on going. That's what he told us when he started this war. And it's what he's done in the past. He's kept on going with the invasion in Georgia in 2008 and the first invasion of Ukraine in um, 2014. And so I think it's going to be important for all of us to understand that this is a hinge moment in history. The Ukrainian people are meeting this challenge and the rest of the world needs to as well. And, you know, um, John Brennan, I, this, a similar question to you about what the strategic uh, importance of this speech is, given the following. I'm going to read a little bit from what The New York Times is reporting, um, that Russia is, is signaling perhaps maybe they're crying uncle a little bit. They've signaled on Friday that it may be reducing its war aims, announcing that it would now focus its forces on taking more territory in eastern Ukraine and that its goals, the goals of the first stage of the operation, quote, had been mainly accomplished, with Ukraine putting up fierce resistance and Russia having failed to seize key cities. Uh, in the early days of the war, Friday's statement from a senior general amounted to the most direct acknowledgement yet that Russia would not be able to take control of all or most of Ukraine. What do you think the significance of that is and the significance of this speech in terms of the strategic interest at hand? Well, as you said, Joy, um, we are at a very critical inflection point, not only in terms of the U.S. Uh, policies abroad, but also in terms of NATO's cohesion, as well as global uh, peace and security. And therefore, I think it's so critically important that President Biden, who has this wealth of experience on the foreign policy front, is able to demonstrate America's commitment uh, tangibly, uh, not only by his presence uh, along those frontline states, but also by the uh, announcements about the extent of U.S. aid, humanitarian aid, billion dollars, plus the continued flow of weapons. And so therefore, I think it's critically important to demonstrate that we are in this. This is still very much of a hot war. And although there maybe the Russians are sending out some signals that they're going to focus on Donbass, I think it really reflects the fact that the Russians uh, realize that things are not going well at all for them and that they really are taking it on the chin. But it's so important that, that by the president's presence out there, that he signals not only to our NATO partners and to the Ukrainians, but also to the Russians, that we are here to stay. We're going to stand by our Ukrainian partners, and we're in this until the very end, whatever that end might be. And Ambassador Ivanovich, let's talk a little bit about the sort of ironies. I mean, the United States has been the good guy and the bad guy on the world stage, depending on the era. I mean, during the Iraq war, much of the world was absolutely outraged by American leadership. Ditto when Donald Trump was president and all but threatened to pull us out of NATO and probably would have pulled us out of NATO, got out of the climate change agreements, um, out of the Iran nuclear deal, just made America sort of a rogue version of ourselves. So now we see kind of the reverse of that. Joe Biden sort of bringing back the West and saying the West is back, America is back, and NATO certainly seems to be back. But some of the countries that are now actually doing the right thing when it comes to refugees, 
have some challenges internally as well. We know that Hungary is led by Viktor Orban, who is an autocrat, um, but they're taking people in. You have Poland, um, the Associated Press talking about their president, President Duda. Um, he's allied with a right-wing political party, this according to the Associated Press, who's accused of eroding democratic norms. The European Union has accused Poland of eroding judicial independence. Poland's government has also incurred international criticism for eroding media independence, for anti-LGBT rhetoric uh, by Duda and others, and over the use of Pegasus spyware against government critics. There, there is not a sort of united West in terms of democratic values. And so I'm wondering, how does that impact our ability to lead when we're not leading like democracies? Well, you're right to point out that this is is a challenge, but I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time, that we can talk to our partners about um, some of the democratic challenges that they're facing. Uh, and, you know, perhaps they might want to talk to us about some of the challenges that we're facing here in the United States as well. Um, mm. And uh, but that doesn't detract from the fact that we can be security partners as well. And I think that's what you're seeing right now on the ground in Brussels and in Poland. Uh, American leadership uh, and frankly, American values, um, democratic values, small d democratic values, um, when we um, choose to support Ukraine in this really important war of, frankly, liberty um, versus tyranny. You know, and John Brennan, you and I, we've talked about this a lot on the show. You know, the fact that we're struggling, as, you know, Ambassador Ivanovich indicated, with our own de democracy uh, being in peril. And, you know, Joe Biden is not leading a country whose democracy is ho wholly sound at the moment. Um, and we're also a country that is addicted to fossil fuels, addicted to the stuff that actually powers Russia, that powers their economy, their last line of defense. The EU um, has announced that they put together a task force with the goal of reducing their dependence on uh, Russian oil. The U.S. has said that it will work with other uh, nations to increase natural gas exports to Europe so they can be less dependent. Um, the goal is to reduce the demand for natural gas long term. That would help to, you know, take Russia's foot off of Europe's neck. About 40 percent of EU gas, 25 plus percent of their oil comes from Russia. Does it does it strike you as a missed opportunity that the West, that the United States, that Europe are not trying to find a way to not only get us, you know, out of hock or get Europe out of hock to countries like Russia, but also out of hock to OPEC, out of hock to all of these oil dynasties around the world, none of whom seem to be the best actors. Is it a missed opportunity that we're not saying maybe the answer here is that we start to push back um, from our addiction to fossil fuels overall? Well, I hope it will not be a mixed, uh, missed opportunity, because as you point out, I think this is really a wake-up call, certainly for the Europeans, about over the past de decade more, that they have increased their reliance on Russian energy supplies. And it's very clear, certainly under Putin, that the Russian bear is a menace, but that dependence is a strategic vulnerability. And so uh, they need to be able to uh, divorce themselves from that type of energy uh, lifeline. But your, your point about OPEC and fossil fuels, I think, is a very good one. Climate change, all of these factors. Uh, it's difficult for a lot of these countries, economies, uh, systems to turn rapidly, but you have to start somewhere. And I do think that what has happened now in Ukraine really is needs to be taken into account by countries globally in terms of what we need to do in order to protect ourselves from the menace of these autocrats, but also to move away from the fossil fuel reliance that has really been, I think, the, the hallmark of uh, you know, global uh, activity for the past uh, many, many decades.
Yeah, indeed. And I will note, once again, as we've reported on this show before, the Koch brothers, one of the Koch uh, organization, one of the few that are not walking away from Russia. They are uh, partially uh, oil refinery based wealth. Um, I'm going to give you the last word on this, um, Ambassador Ivanovich. What will you consider to be a success um, from this trip, um, from your point of view, from the diplomatic point of view um, for Biden? What's the sort of level that he has to get to? What does he need to accomplish? I think he needs to knock it out of the park with that speech, um, again, emphasizing Western unity, American leadership, and uh, calling Russia out for what it is, and then explaining, uh, once again, why Ukraine matters, why this is a greater battle of tyranny versus liberty. Yeah, indeed. And actually, we have a, t- a tiny bit of time left, so I think I can sneak in one quick more question uh, to you, John Brandon. What would be your gauge for success for this trip? I think we're already seeing it emerge in terms of America is back on that global stage in a leadership role, but working very closely with our partnership. And so keeping the the NATO nations united on this front to oppose this Russian aggression, I think, is critically important. And so I think this speech is going to be one of the things that's going to go down in history as being a turning point where we are right now as far as this crisis with Ukraine, because I think America and Joe Biden is demonstrating that we are up to the task of uh, pushing back against these autocratic leaders who use oppression, violence, and subjugation as their tools. So ironic that the president at this time and in this moment is the one for whom the previous president tried to use Ukraine specifically as a cudgel against him. Now, here he is on the world stage speaking up not just for Ukraine, but for the West and for democracy. It is pretty big. It is going to be pretty historic. Thank you. It's always great to talk to both of you. Director John Brennan and Ambassador Marie Ivanovich. Thank you both. Up next on The Readout, we get our first look inside that Mariupol theater where hundreds of civilians were killed by Russian bombs. That, as new signs emerge that a Ukrainian counteroffensive is working. Plus, it's hard for me to fathom that Justice Clarence Thomas had no idea that his wife was advising Trump's chief of staff about how to overturn the election. And yet, Justice Thomas has not recused himself from cases regarding January 6th. Huh. Another insurrectionist all-star, Josh Hawley, had the nerve to attack Judge Patanji Brown Jackson's very normal sentencing record. Well, wait till you see his record. The readout continues after this. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. President Biden's visit to Poland comes as the devastation facing civilians inside Ukraine continues to mount. Officials say the northern city of Cherniv has been cut off, surrounded by Russian forces. 
Its mayor released a video of him driving through the city where Russian shelling destroyed a bridge linking it to the capital, Kiev. Alex Crawford of Sky News reports from inside Cherniv. One paramedic asks us for help. He's Yuri, and he tells us the bridge crossing point where he was waiting to help casualties has been shelled 15 minutes earlier. Now he is wounded. I went there all on my own, Yuri tells us, and I saw destroyed cars, destroyed civilian cars. They were all burned out, they were completely destroyed, and there was one dead civilian with his bags. Okay, guys, good luck. Yeah, good luck to you. He leaves to try to get to a hospital with this parting message for the world. I need our country, need your help. Good luck. Residents said they fear Cherniv will suffer the same fate as Mariupol, the besieged southern city still surrounded by Russian troops. One high-profile police commander there offered to hand himself over to the Russians in exchange for letting children out of the city. While new video showed civilians inside a drama theater used as a bomb shelter attacked by a Russian airstrike last week. Ukrainian officials say 300 people were killed in what is being called the most egregious individual war crime by Russia so far. Satellite images showed Ukrainians had written the words children in Russian outside the building in huge letters to try to protect the people sheltering there. More than 100,000 people remain trapped in Mariupol. One resident now safely in Lviv provided NBC News with cell phone video of the moment that she and her seven-year-old son fled a nearby explosion. With me now is NBC News correspondent Cal Perry in Lviv. Uh, Cal, it, I'm going to let you talk because it's hard for me as a mom to hear a little kid, little child crying and screaming like that. It's very, very difficult to listen to that and to hear uh, that those kinds of images. But please tell us what's going on, because the, the sense of the reporting, and I've been watching your great reporting all day, is that it is the Ukrainian military that's on the move. They are they are the ones who at this point have leverage or not leverage, but they have momentum. Is that an accurate assessment? Because it also just seems like it's just carnage everywhere. Yeah, so I think that is an absolute accurate assessment. In the last sort of 48 to 72 hours, this counteroffensive is actually picking up steam. It's picking up momentum in two places. In the capital of Kiev, we understand that Ukrainian forces have pushed the Russian army back some 15 miles in some places and perhaps even broken through those lines. And what I mean by breaking through them is actually going through those lines and then flanking those Russian soldiers. We understand the losses, at least according to the Ukrainian government, are quite heavy. We heard from the president tonight saying that 16,000 Russian soldiers Soldiers have died now again. To be clear, that is the the Ukrainian government assessment, not an independent assessment. In fact, NATO puts the the deaths of Russian soldiers somewhere between 7,000 and 14,000. No matter how you slice it, though, those are heavy losses, and those don't even account for wounded Russian soldiers. So that's sort of one side of this war, Joy. The other side is what you're talking about, which is the absolute devastation of civilian areas and the direct 
targeting of civilian areas by the Russian army. We talked a lot about Mariupol. The deadliest attack now, single attack that we've seen in this war, is on that theater. At least 300 people killed. But again, these are early numbers. The numbers are going to be far worse than that. And when you look at sort of the big picture in the eastern part of the country, you now see this brutal punishment of civilians on behalf of the Russian army. So it's almost as though the Ukrainian army is fighting the Russian army. The Russian army is fighting not only the Ukrainian army, but also taking out its sort of frustration on these civilian areas. Again, when hearing the Ukrainian president tonight, it's clear he sees the tide turning militarily here on the ground. And we should say the Ukrainian army, for its part, has grown in size since this war began. So many international foreign fighters have come in. It's clear that there is a united front against the Russians. Now the question is, of course, how does Russia either get this off ramp or does Putin lash out, use chemical weapons? That's something people here obviously fear very much, Joy. Ooh, Cal Perry, um, thank you as always. Stay safe. Really appreciate you. With me now is Maxime Borodin, a Mariupol city council member. And uh, uh, council member Borodin, you know, the pictures that we are looking at um, look like Armageddon, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and particularly the pictures out of Mariupol. Please give us the latest uh, on your city um, and and on whether on how many people have been rescued from and still might be trapped in that in that poor theater. Yes, this is terrible video is really from Mariupol. I know the streets, uh, this uh, building. I know my friends live lived some time ago there. So it's terrible to see all these pictures, all this video, and it's continuous and continuous. The people who get out from the city. For the last days, uh, they telling the terrible stories, and it's like scars uh, in, in in their hearts and minds for all lifetime. Uh, I from the last data, I know that about minimum uh, one hundreds of thousand people stay in Mariupol. Uh, a lot of people. Uh, get out, but it's not enough because a lot of children, a lot of pregnant uh, women stay in Mariupol. Russians make some uh, points of uh, humanitarian help, so they called, but they most they use it uh, for the propaganda TV. They show how uh, they liberate uh, Mariupol, but this liberation it's uh, all about ruins. It's all about stop the peaceful life of prosperous city. So it's uh, unbelievable. All, all who can get out, they are really happy they can get out, but now they understand that they're homeless. And it's an, 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 another pain for all of us to, uh, we cannot, uh, bef bef before we stop this war, we can't uh, uh, return to our city and build it uh, from the scratch. Um. We've also heard these reports of Russians essentially, well, not even essentially, kidnapping um, Ukrainians and taking them inside Russia. Are you hearing those things? And what are you hearing, you know, anything are you hearing of these people once they've been taken inside Russia? There are different situations. Some people willing to go out of the city anyway, because they really don't want to go to Russia. But when they have choice, only choice to get out from the bombing, you understand, uh, they are not pro-Russians, but they get out of the city because of their lives and the lives of their children. So Russians use this and show the picture that a lot of people go out from the Mariupol, not to Ukrainian side, 
but for the Russian side. But it's not true. It is uh, not their true willing. And I say we have a lot more casualties if uh, in the near time uh, Ukraine don't get uh, a lot uh, of uh, help, not only defensive syst- systems, but jet planes, MiG-29, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, Poland uh, can afford for us. And uh, we need a lot of uh, long-range anti-air systems like C-400 to help to deblocate city. Because we can't get out all, all of the people. And these people can be the next victims of the Russian terrorist war. Indeed. I mean, a, a country of 40 million people, you can't get you can't take everyone out. Um, uh, President Biden is going to meet with refugees um, who are in Poland. He's going to do that. And he's also going to give this major speech uh, in, in Poland, in Warsaw. What do you want to hear him say? Uh, it's. Uh, I understand uh, from one side, uh, President Biden and all, all others, uh, European politicians, uh, they really uh, care about their people in, in their countries, and they don't want uh, uh, to take uh, direct uh, part in uh, World War War Three, which uh, really started already. But uh, if uh, they, uh, no, you you can't make an. Uh, uh, how would say uh, you 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 can't avoid it. It's not about Putin uh, start uh, uh, some uh, direct uh, war with the uh, US or with the EU only if we, uh, we get these planes. When uh, he decided, uh, he do do it anyway. Do, if if you give us plane or you don't give us plane, so it's not a question. It's question about how many people lives we can uh, we, 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 we can keep. So uh, if uh, if it this help which we get uh, we get uh, uh, next days if we get it earlier, it's uh, less people lives we lose. Indeed, um, I think. Everyone who's watching right now agrees with you. Um, Mariupol City Council member Maxim Borodin, thank you so much. Um, God bless you and uh, in your in your country. Um, cheers. Up next, when it comes to his wife's role in the plot to overturn the 2020 election, what did Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas know, and when did he know it? We'll be right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. 
Jenny Thomas has been a steadfast advocate and defender of her husband, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, since his contentious confirmation hearing in 1991, when he faced credible allegations of sexual harassment of Anita Hill and other women. She's also been a fierce and vocal advocate for conservative issues that often land in the lap of her husband. In fact, no spouse of a sitting justice has ever been as openly politically active as Ginny Thomas. The bombshell revelation from The Washington Post and CBS that she sent 29 text messages to Donald Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, promoting QAnon conspiracy theories to justify overturning the 2020 election has now cast yet another shadow over Thomas and the supposed impartiality he claims to espouse on the bench. Weirdly, Jenny Thomas isn't Justice Thomas's only connection to January 6th. His former law clerk, John Eastman, was responsible for providing the former president with the dubious legal justification to steal the election. All of this just makes you go, hmm. But I think former news anchor Dan Rather put it best when he tweeted, what does Clarence Thomas know and when did he know it? Interestingly enough, back in March, Mrs. Thomas sat down with the Washington Free Beacon almost as if she knew something was coming and admitted that she went to the Stop the Steal rally at the Ellipse on January 6th, but claimed she left because it was too cold. She denied that her attendance created any conflict of interest, telling the examiner, like so many married couples, we share many of the same ideals, principles, and aspirations for America, but we have our own separate careers and our own ideas and opinions, too. And by sheer coincidence... Justice Thomas was the lone dissent in the Supreme Court's January order rejecting Trump's bid to withhold documents from the January 6th panel, which we should note only included documents held at the National Archives. And yet, while they claim intellectual independence, the Thomases have long emphasized how little distance there truly is between them. In February, the New York Times reported that Justice Thomas once told a crowd, which had gathered to celebrate his 30 years on the court, that the 1991 confirmation hearing had the effect of melding us into one being. So given what he has said and how they behaved, how are we supposed to believe that a married couple melded into one being have no clue what the other is doing? Supreme Court justices are afforded a significant amount of leeway when it comes to the judicial code of conduct. In fact, they are free from them. However, they are subject to a federal law that prohibits them from hearing cases in which their spouses, and in this case, Ginny, have an interest that could be substantially affected by the outcome of the proceeding. Joining me now is Melissa Murray, NYU law professor and former clerk for then Second Circuit Court Judge Sonia Sotomayor, and Paul Butler, Georgetown law professor and former federal prosecutor. Thank you both for being here. Melissa Murray, I'm going to start with you. Um, you uh, clerked for uh, Sonia Sotomayor, and I will note it was before she was a Supreme Court justice, but I just wonder what you make of this, because I can't think of any other justice. I, I, I knew that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was married, and we heard some things every so often about what her husband did with his time. I've never heard this much about any other Supreme Court justice's spouse. Have you, and what do you make of these um, text messages? Well, I think Supreme Court spouses try to avoid any appearance of impropriety, in part because the court's legitimacy really does depend on the public viewing the justices as being above reproach. So, for example, Chief Justice John Roberts's wife had been very active among a group of pro-life feminists, and she left her position doing that work when he became Chief Justice because of the obvious implications that it would have for his work as Chief Justice. 
We have never seen anything like Ginny Thomas um, in our history, in the history of Supreme Court spouses. And again, the deep imbrication of her work with her husband's work, I I think, is hard to overlook. Um, Often, it seems from this reporting, what she has been peddling as a consultant in Washington, D.C., is access to the corridors of power. And, you know, the real question is, is one of those corridors in her own home? And, he, and and I mean, it's not even just the first time. This is element six for my produ- my wonderful producers. Virginia Thomas has been active and, adv- and an advocate for repealing the Affordable Care Act, which came before the Supreme Court, repealing Roe v. Wade, just sneaking its way right towards the Supreme Court, repealing COVID mandates before the Supreme Court, targeted strategies that make it easier to, or easier to vote, mandatory voter identification laws. She floated the idea of using former Navy SEALs to monitor the polls, overturning the 2020 election, repealing affirmative action, anti-transgender rights. That's just what we know of. Um, And so it seems to me to stay with you for a moment, Melissa, there is no instance throughout this man's career when she hasn't been advocating on something that he's ruling on. I've never seen anything like that. She definitely feels sui generis to me. Your thoughts? It is sui generis. I mean, and the optics are poor, but to me, what really smacks of impropriety and probably needs to be investigated further is the notion that many of the individuals who appear before the court as litigants are also Ginny Thomas's clients. Um, So it's not Mm. simply that she has particular views and that she's a vigorous advocate for them in Washington. It's that she's actively advising those who regularly appear before her husband as litigants. And, and including, it appears to be Mark Meadows. Let's bring you in here, Paul Butler. Here's the NBC reporting. This is new reporting on top of what we saw in the Washington Post and CBS. Thomas wrote to the aid, to, to, to an aid, a White House aid, that Freedom Caucus members were tougher than RS, the Republican uh, Study Committee members um, were in the fight and had and had then-President Donald Trump's back, according to the source familiar with email clients, until she saw RSC members, and I guess she means Republican Study Committee members, out in the streets and in the fight, she would not help the Republicans, the largest caucus of conservatives on Capitol Hill. So she's essentially ordering Republicans to get out there and fight. Um, she There's a text message where she calls the election a heist, saying, help this great president stand firm, Mark, with all these capitals, telling him, you're the leader with him who's standing for America's constitutional governance on the precipice. The majority knows Biden and the left are attempting heights. Blah, 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 blah. She orders uh, Mark Meadows, do not concede. It's time for the army who's gathering to have his back. It keeps going. She supports Sidney Powell and says, let her be the face of this. Oh, release the Kraken. She goes on and on. And And she has a threat involved. If you don't do it, she says, I and 73 million people like me are going to be done with politics. This feels like she is advising the chief of staff to the president, Paul, in the midst of an ongoing insurrection against our country. And then her husband rules. And I don't care if it's not the same emails. Her husband then is the only justice who says, nah, Donald Trump's presidential record should be sealed because he's got immunity. Your thoughts. Jenny Thomas actively tried to install the losing candidate as president. If she had her way, we would all be living in a Donald Trump dictatorship right now. She had unique access to Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, arguably the most powerful person in the country after Trump himself. And Thomas was the only holdout in an eight to one decision that allowed Congress to obtain records from Trump's White House related to January 6th. Guess whose records those include? Mark Meadows. 
Justice Thomas would not have allowed the public to see those records, and now we kind of know why. And Thomas's lone dissent in that case was legally incoherent, which is why even ultra-conservative justices like Alito and Gorsuch couldn't go there. And let me ask you this question. Are there any is 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 there any way to hold Clarence Thomas to account? No one should be accountable for their their spouse's views. You can your spouse can have kooky views. That's not illegal. But if he is consistently ruling in ways that comport with his wife's not just her beliefs, but her client list, this feels so openly corrupt, even for Clarence Thomas, that I can't believe it's legal. Um, This is for you, Paul. Um, it's legal as long as the justice says it is. So the Supreme Court justices aren't bound by the same rules that even other federal judges are bound by. They would be forced to recuse themselves in these cases, but the Supreme Court uh, isn't. Uh, I think he might face some pressure from the chief justice, who reportedly is an institutionalist. This case is exposing the court to the stench of corruption and self-dealing Thomas would be deciding cases that his wife has a personal stake in. But, Joy, the only legal constitutional remedy for to get uh, to get change on this is impeachment. Hmm. Yeah. Here we go again. I mean, he the stench is already there, though. I hate to break it to John Roberts. Um, Paul and Melissa are going to stick with us uh, because up next, Josh Hawley's attacks on Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's sentencing record has led to scrutiny of his record as Missouri's attorney general. And surprise, surprise. It's not pretty. We'll be right back. It should come as no surprise that from the moment President Biden nominated Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court, Republicans were going to look for any way to drag her into the filth to raise their own profiles and their future ambitions. Case in point, insurrection curious Senator Josh Hawley, who spent the past few weeks attacking Judge Jackson's sentencing record, falsely accusing her of showing leniency towards sexual predators and being soft on crime, a charge laden with racial overtones that's often leveled at black Americans, including Thurgood Marshall back in the day. Holly wrote an op-ed calling Judge Brown uh, her so-called lenience a betrayal of our democracy. However, as we peer into Holly's own record as Missouri Attorney General, we see that in 2018, he completely supported a lighter sentence for a county sheriff who pleaded guilty to charges of domestic assault and sexual abuse. Knox County Sheriff Robert Becker was accused of choking his then-girlfriend with a shirt. And in a separate incident, the woman claimed that Becker orally violated her. Instead of bringing the case to trial, Hawley agreed to a plea deal in which Becker served no jail time and instead received two years of probation and resigned his office. Hawley praised the outcome because Becker would no longer get to wear the badge, despite the fact that Becker would not face any jail time at all. But apparently Senator Hawley doesn't believe that that is a betrayal of our democracy. My legal eagles are back, Melissa Murray and Paul Butler. Paul, this guy is a complete hypocrite. First of all, um, the Sentencing Commission report on child child pornography sentence found that Judge Ketanji Brown is right in the medium. She's right in the mainstream. 59% of non-production offenders receive sentences below the guideline range. It's not unusual at all. Um, And in addition to that, Holly has backed judges whose records are identical to Judge Jackson. Three of them, Judge Bianco, Judge Brasher, Judge Nichols. Everything he's saying is bullcrap. But your thoughts? Uh, You're right. Several judges appointed by President Trump sentenced just like Judge Jackson, but we have not heard Hawley 
come for those white guys the way that he cross-examined Judge Jackson. And, and let's be clear about what's going on. This is kind of a twofer for Holly. He got to play to his QAnon base and his base of people who are unhappy about a black woman breaking that glass ceiling. People who get off on seeing a brilliant jurist verbally manhandled in a Senate of 100 people that doesn't include one black woman. Fortunately, that's not most of the American people. But, Joy, when Holly plays to these kooks, he's playing with fire. QAnon has an obsession with child sex trafficking, but it seems more focused on Democrats than actual victims. One of these people shot up a pizza parlor in D.C. a few years ago because he claimed that Hillary Clinton was exploiting children in, resta- in the restaurant's basement. Yeah, indeed. And, and, you know, and the thing is, Melissa, these people don't care about these things. The, the thing that's so hypocritical about it, Tom Cotton has never put forward one piece of legislation to try to strengthen the sentences of child predators, nor as Josh Hawley, nor as Ted Cruz. None of, none of them. They don't care about this issue at all. They just, as uh, Paul said, want to be seen on TV screaming at a black woman because they know their base likes it and they want to stoke QAnon. Um, here's an interesting thing the Kansas City Star reported on. And Josh Hawley has done this before. He cr- sat on what was supposed to be a task force to stop uh, sex trafficking, human trafficking. One member of Holly's human trafficking task force wrote, I feel Holly used its anti-trafficking platform and dedicated people as pawns to gain public recognition for himself. Though we did not expect Holly would lead every meeting, his involvement became negligible after the second time we gathered. Some of our initiatives were ignored or delayed by his absence. He has a history, Melissa, of using pretend advocacy on issues involving sexual predation for his own aggrandizement. Your thoughts? Well, I think this was a real failure of the confirmation process. This is supposed to be a public education session for the American people, an opportunity to really see what this perspective justice is about. Instead, what we had was grandstanding and the delivery of sound bites that are basically breadcrumbs being laid for the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential election. And I think this was the difficulty that many of us watching had. Judge Jackson tried valiantly to explain her sentencing, and to do so, it really required a lot of nuance, a lot of attention, and a lot of detail. And part of what she was trying to convey is that as a judge, as a trial judge, she is bound by the limitations that Congress itself has imposed by failing to address some of these disjunctions between the statute as they exist and the difficulties that judges have in applying them. And she's doing the best that she can. All federal judges are doing the best that they can with what they've been given. That's not something that can be reduced to a soundbite like you're soft on crime. And Senator Hawley knows that. And he exploited it in the moment. And Paul is exactly right. It is playing with fire. Judge Jackson was not only the judge who sentenced the Pizzagate shooter to four years, she is now apparently fodder on QAnon chat boards where people are talking about blowing her up or otherwise doing harm to her. I will also know that Senator Ted Cruz repeatedly identified the school that her daughter attends by name. And again, I don't think that was without design. I mean, basically, you are letting people know where she is, where her family is, and it's an incredibly dangerous matter. Indeed. And, you know, Paul, the reality is, you know, Ellie Mistal said this, and people got mad at him for saying that he's setting her up. He's trying to set her up and her children. They've seen her children's image on TV. People know what her daughters look like. They know her kids go to school. Holly, Cruz, Mike Lee, all of them, Lindsey Graham, They're putting her in danger, no? Very quickly. We don't have a lot of time. 
It's grotesque, Joy, but it says a lot about the state of politics that Republicans allow these people to the huge platform of a Supreme Court confirmation hearing to to spew this filth. But it also says a lot about the extraordinary qualifications of Judge Jackson that they had to make stuff up because everything hmm. in her record suggests she's one of the most qualified people ever to be nominated for the Supreme Court. Lindsey Graham has voted for her before. Susan Collins, Murkowski's voted for her before. These, they tried to have Joe Manchin get on their team. Even Joe Manchin, who loves to mess with uh, Joe Biden, said, nah, he's going to vote for it. Uh, that's how silly their attacks were. Melissa Murray, Paul Butler, thank you both. Have a great weekend. And up next, who won the week? Look, we're bringing that back this week because you know what? It's pretty obvious, right? But I cannot resist showing you once again why she's so amazing. Don't go anywhere. So this week, it is just so obvious who won the week for her incredible ability to maintain her poise than probably I would have. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson takes home the title. Here is just one powerful moment from her testimony. She was asked by Senator Alex Padilla, the first Latino senator from California, what advice she would give young, diverse Americans who might doubt their ability to succeed. I will tell them what uh, an anonymous person said to me once. I was walking through Harvard Yard my freshman year. As I mentioned, I went to uh, public school and I didn't know anything about Harvard until um, my debate coach took me there to enter a speech competition. It was rough. It was different from anything I'd known. And I think the first semester I was really homesick. I was really questioning um, do I belong here? Can I, can I make it in this environment? And I was walking through the yard in the evening and a black woman I did not know was passing me on the sidewalk. And she looked at me and I guess she knew how I was feeling. And she leaned over as we crossed and said, persevere. I would tell them to persevere. Persevere. And that is tonight's readout. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.